Okay, just a little bit of a disclaimer here at the beginning. I'm still um, working this out, and I'm sure it'll finally be worked out after the next mass is over. Um, but um, uh, something I've been sitting with all week and thinking about these readings, and, and the same thing kind of keeps coming to my attention. So I'm pretty sure what, I, what I'm going to say is offensive, um, but you're probably thinking, like, that's not any different from normal weeks. So um, it's going to be okay. And in fact, the person who, the intention is that the person who's going to be most offended is myself, actually. So. So the thing that catches my attention from our gospel passage um, today is this, this uh, from Jesus. Um, at the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. So this, this line, like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, so what's going on? So Jesus, he's doing, he's doing what he does. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's, he's healing people, he's curing diseases, all these different things. Um, and, and so what happens is people are just, they're flocking to him like sheep, right? They, they just keep like wherever he goes, they, they, they follow him. And, and we know that there's, there's even sometimes, and I don't know, I don't know where in Matthew it is, but there's even a time where like he goes with his disciples, um, in a boat and they, they cross the sea and the people, they find out where, where he's going and they like race around and they beat him there because they're just so desperate to be in his presence. And, and then that's, that's where it moves into this line of, of his heart is moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd, as, as though they had no leader. Um, and, and the thing to me that that's, it just sort of catches me by surprise is this, that at the time of Jesus, there was a pretty clear, I mean, pretty clear, there was a, a clear like order of, of religious practice and, and a really clear like systematic way of, of leadership among God's people. In other words, like God had established in order of things with, with people who were the leaders, um, the rabbis and, and these kinds of people. And, and yet Jesus is looking at these, these people, the general populace, as though they have no leaders. And so it's, it's just fascinating to me that like, why would Jesus see them to not have leaders even though it was clear that they, they did have religious leaders? It's, it's something worth thinking about. And, and, and to me, then it's like, okay, well, what did that look like? What did the religious leadership of the time of Jesus look like? And, and we know from the Gospels that there was pretty incredible division among them. We, we know the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then there's another group, and I, I, don't, I don't remember if it's mentioned in the Gospels, but there's another group that's called the Essenes. And these were, were all like different sort of sects of the Jewish faith and, and their interpretation of the scriptures and, and which books were considered divinely inspired and which weren't and, and how to live that out, right? So like, in other words, there was a lot of division at the time of Jesus among the Jewish people, among the people of God, a lot of division. And we can ask the question, well, what's the result of that division among the leadership? And the result is exactly what Jesus sees is that the people suffer as a result of this, that, that because of the division at the top, uh, then when, when you get to the, the general population of people who, who are just looking for someone to care for them, then what happens? Well, they suffer. And so th this is what causes Jesus' heart to be filled with pity and to see that they're lacking something. And so that, that actually moves him then to say what? The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest, right? Like they, they need more leaders is what he's saying. Okay, that's, that got my mind thinking about like, okay, well, well, there's this. How, how would the Lord Jesus, or, or not how would he, but how does the Lord Jesus look at his people today? Right, because we believe that, that Jesus came 
into the Jewish community and he established a new covenant, a, a new sort of order um, that, that flows out of that one, yes, but it's something new, which, which we of course call the, the church, right? The Christian church, the Catholic church, most specifically. And, and so there's this question of like, okay, how does Jesus look at his church? And, and as I look at his church, I just, I can't help but think that he sees the same exact thing. I can't help but think that, that he, at this, just as he did 2,000 years ago, still today he looks out at his people with pity. His heart is moved with pity because his people are troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. And, and you, could, you, could ask, you could ask the question, like, no, no, Father, like, there, there's, there are shepherds, right? Like, you're one of them. And, and the, you know, we have the Pope and the bishops and, and all, the, all the clergy. And, yet, like, yes, that's true. But what do you see when you look at them? I know what I see. I see a lot of division. I see a, a big mess at the top. And because of that big mess at the top, and, and, and if you don't know about this, then, then that's, that's okay. In some ways, maybe, maybe ignorance is, is a good thing here, but, but the, the clergy in the church are super divided about all kinds of different things. And, and forgetting even about the division for a minute, I look at the church and I see decades of really poor shepherds. Decades of really poor shepherds, both in their teaching or lack of teaching, we might say, and in their behavior or their poor behavior, we might say, through the scandals that we've seen. But, but the thing that, that catches my attention the most is, is the, the lack of good teaching among the shepherds of the church. And I'm not necessarily thinking of particular priests, whether they've been at this parish or other parish. I'm not, because we could, we could debate all day long about particular priests that we know. And, and I know plenty of priests that are good priests. And I know plenty of bishops that are good bishops. But, but here's, here's an example. I've got, I've got some examples that will just show you how much we've been lacking over the last several decades. So in, in the Catholic Church, we have these things called precepts. So a precept is like a minimum requirement for membership. So in other words, if you want to be considered an active practicing Catholic, we have five precepts, five minimum things that you have to do in order to be considered, uh, considered for active membership. And if you don't do them, then you're not considered an active practicing member of the Catholic faith. We have five of them. So I'm not going to ask anyone to give, like, to actually give answers, but I, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Um, and since I'm not asking, you could, you could cheat if you want, but that's, that's not going to help my, that's not going to help my example. So how many of you think that you could, with, with pretty good confidence, tell me the five precepts of the Catholic church? Right, exactly. Right? Like, isn't that fascinating to you that, that, we, that we're all part of this like big, you could like call it a club, this big church. And the, like, of course, not just this particular parish, but like this church that is much bigger than this parish, that's much bigger than, than the Diocese of Crookston, this big, par this big church that's much bigger than the United States of America that's, that goes across the entire world. And, and as members of this big church, we have five minimum requirements. And one or two people raised their hands and said they could, with confidence, tell me the five. Isn't that fascinating to you? How, how does that happen? Well, I think it begins with poor leadership. I think it begins with poor shepherding. And again, I'm not, I'm not talking about, so we could, I'm not talking about particular priests. And, and sometimes even those priests who are poor teachers, they might still be good guys. 
but they might be poor teachers. And, and Jesus, want, like, what was the main thing that Jesus did while he was in ministry? He preached and he taught. So what is the main thing that a pastor, a shepherd of the church should be doing? Preaching and teaching. And so if a guy, if a, if a guy is a really good guy, if he's not preaching and teaching as Jesus preached and taught, and what's he doing? You know, like that's, that's the kind of thing. Like, like the, and, and more examples, right? We, we live in a, in, a, in a situation where very few people believe in what the church believes about the Holy Eucharist, right? There was a, there was a, a, a survey released uh, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. And the results of the survey said that among people in the Catholic Christian church, only like 30% of Catholic Christians really believe what Catholics say they believe about the Eucharist, that, that the bread and the wine change entirely into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Like that there's no more bread, there's no more wine on the altar, but that they change entirely. Only like 30% of Catholics really say that they, they actually believe that. The, the more stark statistic to me was, was that only 50% of Catholics even understood that that's what the church teaches. In other words, half of our members don't even know that the church teaches this about the Eucharist. And we say that the Eucharist is the high point, the peak of our faith, and that everything else that we believe flows from that point. And only half of our members even know that we teach it. That to me is like, I can't force you to believe this. That's something that, that only God's grace can do. But, but if in my preaching, in my teaching, I'm not clearly explaining to you, or the clergy aren't clearly explaining to you what we believe, then what are we doing? That's, that's a disaster. More examples, right? I mean, I've got lots of examples, right? Lots of people, I know, lots of Catholic Christians, and lots of Christians in general. This isn't necessarily just a Catholic thing, but, but I'm a Catholic priest, and so that's what's on my mind. Lots of Catholic Christians don't read the Bible because they don't know how to. They were never like, taught how to read the Bible. Lots of Catholics don't read the Bible because when they do, they don't understand it, and they were never really taught the way to look for help. That's... Like, yes, like some of, the, some of these things that I'm sharing, like, yes, they, they do fall in part on you because you're not a dumb sheep. Like, you have the ability to study. We all have the internet at our fingertips, basically. But, but ultimately, if you're not being taught by your shepherds, then you're not going to follow Jesus. Now, I don't, want, I don't want to diminish something. Like, I, I'm aware that, that there, are, there are plenty of people who have been coming to Mass faithfully for much longer than I've been alive. So I don't, I don't want to diminish that, that some of you have faith. But what I simply want to point out is that on a general level, on a general level, most people in the Catholic Church today don't know anything about our Catholic faith. Or if they do, and I ask them, oh, great, how do you know that? Well, I just feel it in my heart. When in fact, there are resources for us to look at where we don't have to just rely on our feelings because what happens when our feelings run out is we run out. But if I can rely on concrete things, like, for example, looking specifically at what Jesus teaches in the Bible and looking specifically at what the church teaches in her doctrine, this, this book is called the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's, it's what we call it a summary of, of what we believe, right? So this is a summary of, of what we believe as Catholic Christians. Most people don't even know this book exists, right? And that's, again, like, this, this is all turning on me. I'm not... I'm, 
if it seems like I'm coming down on you, I, ho I hope that it doesn't seem that way. To me, this is like all on me and on the rest of the clergy because we live in a world where the clergy aren't teaching the most basic things that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And so now we have a church that for the last 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, however long you want to go back, it's, it's a totally broken system. And it's entirely, almost entirely, empty ritual for a lot of people that relies almost exclusively on feelings. So that, so that if ultimately, if ultimately... I run into something that, that Jesus teaches in the Gospels, I rely more on my feelings and on my thoughts rather than leaning on the doctrines of the church and leaning on the, the inspired nature of the scriptures. And that's just a, that's a really sad thing. What, what, is, what does the Lord see when he looks at his church? He sees sheep that are, that are what? That are troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. We could go on and on and on with these examples. I could, I could list hot, hot topic issues after hot topic issues after hot topic issues. I could list really basic things like discipleship. I could say words like the kerygma. I could, I could say like all kinds of different things. And, and they're all just one example after another of, of how the leadership in the church has really failed. And for that, I'm so sorry. And this is where we get to the part that, that I'm still not really settled about because as I think about this and as I've been thinking about this this week, it's like, okay, what's the point of sharing all of this? Like, what's the point of talking about how, how sad of a situation we find ourselves in as a church? And I don't know that I know the answer. And what's the solution? I don't necessarily know that I know the answer. But what I do know is that for me as a priest, I need to, I need to make sure that when I'm preaching, and I hope you understand that I do this, and maybe, maybe I could get better at it, but I, I hope you understand like this, like when I preach, I wanna preach not, not Brian Cuiava's thoughts and not Brian Cuiava's opinions and not Brian Cuiava's preferences. And I, I think I've told you this before and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again is, if I'm ever preaching my preferences, I'll let you know if it's something that, like, well, you could think this or you could think this, I'll let you know if you've got, got options. But when I think about my preaching as a pastor, as a shepherd of the church, I'm preaching from the scriptures so that I'm not relying on my authority, but I'm relying on the authority of God who has inspired the word of God. I'm not preaching from, from my thoughts, but I'm preaching from the doctrine of the church. So I'm not relying on my authority, but I'm relying on the authority that Jesus Christ gave to his church, which is the Catholic church. And as I do that, I, I'm aware that, that we're living in a culture where that hasn't always been done. And so there are gonna be times where it's like really hard to accept what's being taught and what's being preached. It's gonna be really hard to understand like, okay, we've got these minimum requirements uh, and, and no one's ever taught them to me. Now when I find out what they are, am I willing to submit to them? Am I willing to surrender? Do I really want to be an active practicing member of this church, the Catholic church? Right? I understand that sometimes those are gonna be difficult things. I was just sitting with some people uh, yesterday at an event in North Dakota and, um, and this priest that I was sitting next to was talking to some people about the, the necessity that we have to evangelize, to share our faith with others, especially those who are not currently coming to church. And I watched as these people just squirmed in discomfort because they couldn't imagine sharing and, and inviting someone into the faith or sharing their experience of their Catholic faith with others. And as he was talking and, and making them uncomfortable, I was just thinking to myself like, yes, 
they're not used to hearing a priest talk about these kinds of things, which are so basic and so foundational, but they're just not hear, used to hearing a priest like directly speaking to them in this way. So I understand that that's uncomfortable, but at the same time, at the same time, the thing from the first reading was this, that, that so the Lord is, is speaking to Moses and he says this, therefore, if you hearken to my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my special possession, dearer to me than all other people, though all the earth is mine. Do you hear what the Lord is saying to his people? He's saying, look, I've chosen you. You're mine. And if you hearken to me, another translation, translation that I, I tend to use says, if you obey my voice, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, in other words, follow my commandments, if you do that, you shall be my special possession, dearer to me than all other people, right? There's, the, the Lord is saying, I've chosen you and I want you to be dear to me, but there's a condition on this. Right? So we're so accustomed to hearing that God's love is so unconditional. And there's a reality that it is, but, but to be a part of his chosen people, there are conditions placed on that. That word if is a small word, but it's so big. If you will obey, if you will keep the commandments, then you shall be my special people because I've chosen you, but now you have to respond. So there's, there's an aspect of this, like what's the solution? A huge part of the solution falls on my shoulders as your pastor. But another part of the solution, it has to fall on whether you're willing to obey the voice of the Lord, on whether you're willing to follow his commandments, to keep his covenant, so that as a community, we can be his chosen people, more dearly loved than anyone else. That's got to be part of the solution. And then the last part of the solution is, is for you to pray, to pray for me to pray for all clergy in the church, to pray for Bishop Cousins, to pray for the bishops of the church. Because as you can perhaps tell from this, there's a really big responsibility that comes with being a priest, that comes especially with being a bishop, that comes especially with being a pope. And we desperately need your prayers. And we also, as a community and as individuals, we also need to pray that the Lord God would inspire good and holy priests, good and holy men who want to be good and holy priests so that the church can know the shepherd, the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants for his community so that he doesn't have to look out as though there are people who have no shepherd, but instead he can work through each of those good and holy shepherds and reach them and do everything that he wants to do. Because that's, that's what he wants, you know? And, and, and as a last point, right, I, I hope you understand that I by no means think that I'm one of those good and holy shepherds. I understand that I'm a sinful man. I understand that there are times when I shrink back out of fear because I fear the reaction of, of, of you, right? Or there are times when I myself struggle toward conversion and I myself need to be urged on by Jesus. I myself need to be inspired and encouraged by him and this is why I need your prayers as well. So together we can be this community of the Lord but, but that means that we gotta cooperate and we have to play the part that the Lord has ordained for us to play.